Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is the October 1st episode. We're into October. So next week we would draw names normally, but I don't know if I'm going to be on the recap next week. Mm -hmm. We may have guests. Stay tuned. All you 12 listeners. (laughs) 12. That sounds generous. It does sound generous. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) We are in Second Samuel, First Kings. Where else are we? Gen- Galatians. Uh, Galatians. We did all of Galatians. Ezekiel for the rest of our lives. Still in Ezekiel. <laughs> I really was like, oh my gosh, we don't even break out of it this week. No. Nope. Full confession. I come to Ezekiel and I'm like, I'm just going to skim it almost every time. I'm like, there's nothing in here for me to read. It's all the same thing. Every time, every week, I'm like, I'm just going to skim it. But there's something in there. Yes, I am so surprised at how much I have written in the book of Ezekiel. Yeah. There's some good stuff in there this week too. We lose David this week. I mentioned this to you earlier, but I guess I was really struck by the way that David handles everything from Absalom. Mm -hmm. No, Absalom. Amnon. Amnon is the one that sleeps with Tamar. Yes. I think so. Yeah. From from Amnon. No, no, no. That was before, but like David doesn't confront Amnon. Mm -hmm. He doesn't confront Absalom. Yeah. Like he leaves it. He's passive aggressive and leaves him out of his sight. Right. And then when he brings him back, he still doesn't see him for a while. Yeah. And then he kisses him. And then like, there's must be, and there still must be some like not non-confrontation before he kisses him and falls on his neck and like loves him. But at the same time, he still doesn't know how to like deal with it authentically. Mm -hmm. And Absalom is like, I got peace. I'm I'll be King. Yeah. Good here. And then you see, um, his other son tries to take the throne. Adonijah. Mm -hmm. Adonijah. Uh, Yeah. I think that's right. Adonijah. Yes. Adonijah tries to take the throne and David doesn't confront him. He doesn't like, he doesn't say, no, you're not the King. It's Solomon. He never confronts him. He just says, okay, here's what you're going to do. And he just go make Solomon King and I will confirm it. And there's no, he doesn't (laughs) address Adonijah. Like there's just no, David does not confront people. And then when he dies, he goes to Solomon and as he's dying, he's like, Hey, Solomon, make sure you take care of this issue with Shema, who was mean to me by cursing me. Yeah. He promised, I promised him I wouldn't kill him by the sword, but if you wouldn't mind taking care of this in your wisdom, that would be great. And there's like three people, um, uh, his, the, the captain of the army. Yeah. Is Um, Joab one of them? Yep. Joab. I think where is it? Yep. So Joab is first. You also know that Joab, son of Zerubia, didn't what he did to me and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Mm -hmm. Abner and Amasa. He says, um, act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray head descend to Sheol in peace. Um, Show kindness to the sons of Barzillai and um, Gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table because they supported me when I fled from your brother. Keep an eye on um, Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite, who who is with you. He uttered malicious curses at me. 
but he came down to me at the Jordan river and I swore to him by the Lord, I will never kill you with the sword. So don't let him go unpunished for you are a wise man. You know how to deal with him to bring his gray mm-hmm. head down. So it was actually, it was just those two either way. It was like, Oh my gosh, this is just so funny when you look at who David was, but he handled it. And I like that he was kind of, I like that he must have sensed wisdom in Solomon to begin with, because he's like, you're wise, just do, do it right. What you'll do it right. Whatever you, it's almost like he didn't even trust his own wisdom to be able to handle the conflicts well. And so he was like, I'm just not going to do this because I don't, he would never kill anybody because he was, he was like, this is the anointed. Like, it's almost like he was like, I can't judge people's hearts. Well, so I'm not going to punish them according to like, he's, he doesn't trust himself. Yeah. I don't know. It's so interesting. It is. It's almost like he's like the peaceful warrior. You know what I mean? Like even with Joab, cause we talked about Joab like last week or the week before. And I was like, Joab has his back. Like he's, he's always out for David's best interest. And I didn't, but I didn't think David knew that Joab had had these two guys killed. Well, Joab, neither one of these are his son though. I don't think, right. Because he actually kills Absalom and Absalom's one. I think he doesn't know about. Right. Yes. Right. But I didn't, I like, even in the story from before, like, it seems like Joab kind of just takes care of these guys behind because the one guy, Abner, I think is the one that David sent out to do something. And then he didn't come back and then Joab crossed paths with him and and just got Mm -hmm. rid of him. Like, yes, but it seems like David did know anyway, that's just interesting. Yeah. As a little side note to the story. So there's just a lot that like David's not dealing with. And I was just thinking about, uh, I was, I've just, I'm a confrontational person, not in a negative way, but like, if there's something going on, yes. if there's an itch that needs to be scratched, like I'm just going for it because I yep. can't, I'm so distracted by it. I can't just let it rest. I can't walk mm-hmm. away from it. Whereas like, I think you can just turn it off and go about the things that you have to do because it's almost kind of for the same reasons. Like, I'm not really sure that I'm going to deal with this, right. Or I know how to deal with it. So I'm just not going to, because mm-hmm. I just don't know what to, you know what I mean? And I just was thinking how cool it is that God makes us all different kinds of ways because yeah. Solomon does confront each one of these people in such wisdom. Who was it that he was like, I'm not going to kill you. Oh, well, we'll see how, we'll see whether you're good or evil. He just is like, I'm going to let you live and we'll determine as long as you're good. And if it turns out that you're evil, I'm going to kill you. And no, then I yeah. love, yeah. And so then he goes to Bathsheba and asks Bathsheba if he can have, um, King David's concubine who mm-hmm. David never slept with, but I'm not sure that the rest of the world would have known that David never mm-hmm. slept with her. Um, and so Solomon's like, are you checking something? Yeah. Wait, you're saying Solomon doesn't ask for her as his wife. No, no, no. Sorry. Um, the King that tried to make himself King instead of Saul, the brother okay, who tried yes. to make himself King Adonijah. Himself. Yeah. Yes. Asks for David's concubine, the beautiful Shumanite woman yes. for his wife to Bathsheba. He asked Bathsheba to ask on his behalf. And so I love that Solomon is like, ask whatever you want. You can have, you can have what I'll give it to you, whatever you want. And then, so she takes this throne that Solomon makes for her right beside him at his right hand. Mm-hmm. And she asks for this on the, his brother's behalf. And Solomon's like, you might as well have asked him to be the King. Like you understand that he's asking, you understand he's asking to be the King because if he gets my dad's concubine as a wife, like that's basically what he's doing. And 
And he's like, no. And he has him killed because it's like clear. Okay. Right. I'm, I can see his motives. Like the wisdom of Solomon is just like profoundly incredible. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, and so he goes and he has him killed. And so I was just thinking about that. Like, well, he promised Bathsheba, like, how did he not in other scenes, it would have been like, he tied himself in a knot, like with Xerxes, the way he's when like, he said, well, you can have whatever you want. Yeah. Except that it wasn't her. Re- I, so I thought the same thing, but it wasn't her request. You know what I mean? Like she's asking on behalf of someone else. So I wonder if he's like, this isn't, you're not asking this. I have just one small request of you. Do not turn me down. Right. And he says, of course, I won't. I won't turn you, you down. And then, right. So she yeah. doesn't, I guess she doesn't say that Adonijah asked. I think that's where I assumed that Solomon probably intuited that, that he knew that. Oh, totally. Well, he was yeah, like, right. regardless of your request or his request, the issue is that this guy wants my throne. And I already told him I was going to kill him if it turned out that he was evil. Turns out right. he's evil. So yes. he dies. You know what yes. I mean? It's like <clears throat> his wisdom to just be like, I'm not, I don't have to obey. I don't have to be true to my word when the actual heart of the issue is that mm-hmm. this dude is evil. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so there's, like I said, where other kings would tie themselves in knots and be tied to the commitment. Mm-hmm. Solomon's like, no, I don't. Like, yeah, I see, I what see what's saying. actually going on here, yes. which I think is cool. Go ahead. Also kind of cool considering these, this is all before Solomon asks God for wisdom. Solomon, right. yes. like, this is like Solomon's, I mean, not that God isn't already working through him, but Solomon's already a pretty wise dude before yes. he says, give me wisdom. And God's oh, like, my okay, God. I'll make you wiser than everybody. And I'll make you rich too. Like, Yes. And there's so much to talk about in just that, because that's complicated. Now he's at the high places. He's at like, he's literally sacrificing to these gods. Okay. So I actually have questions about that. Okay. In the message reading of it, it's hard to, it's hard. It's not clear. It says Solomon marries Pharaoh's daughter. Um, and brings her to the city of David until he had completed building his royal palace and God's temple in the wall around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people were worshiping at local shrines because at that time, no temple had yet been built to the name of God. Solomon loved God and continued to live in the God-honoring ways of David, his father, except that he also worshiped at the local shrines, offering sacrifices and burning incense. So when I read that, like, it's like both yeah, things. Like, ambiguous. Are they, right. Are they worshiping there because there's no temple? But then when it says, except that he worshiped at the local shrines, that implies that it's not the best choice. Like it seems kind of nebulous. And then, but I think that when he's there, like, it seems like he's worshiping God. He's just worshiping God at a place where maybe people worship other gods too. Yeah. That the gist? That's the way that I get it is that, and actually my commentary here says it, but I'm not sure. I mean, it's a commentary. But it does seem like the, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the high places in general, everywhere it says high places, it usually indicates pagan gods. Right. Which is like, it's probably Canaanites. Yeah. So this is, that's what's in this, in the message, it's called local shrines, which also still has kind of a negative connotation to it, but yeah. Even but here's this, however, the people there. were sacrificing on the high places. So like it says, however, there, and just like you said, it says, Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father, David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. What does it say in verse like one or two about, um, so, cause it says, meanwhile, 
the people were worshiping at local shrines because at that time, no temple had yet been built to the name of God, which implies that they're just using these other shrines for their sacrifices because they're set up for that, but they're worshiping God. There just isn't a, he doesn't have his own temple yet. Yeah. That's the, however, it says, however, the people were, um, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building the his palace, the Lord's temple and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until at that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Okay. Solomon loved the Lord by walking in his statutes of his father, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And he's there. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there because it was the most famous high place. Mm -hmm. He offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar at Gibeon. The Lord appeared to Solomon and dream at night. God asked, what should I give you? And then that's when Solomon says in his dream, I want wisdom like he could have had anything. God's like, you could have mm -hmm. had anything. I would have given you anything. And you asked for wisdom. And because you asked for wisdom, like, it's like you had the wisdom to ask for wisdom yes. and in asking yes. for wisdom. Yeah. But the, just the fact that like God met him in a dream one, he met him in a dream at a high place. And it says Solomon woke up and he went to Jerusalem to worship. That's what mine says. It says, then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He went to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's covenant and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he held a feast for all his That's servants. That's crazy. So yeah. So yeah, because the, the Ark of the covenant is there, right? Yep. Yeah. So he could have stayed there to worship. It's like, there was no place for him to go. He went right. to the high places, which is, yep. Good. That's clarifying. Yeah. And I just think that's so cool that he, he woke up and he was like, Whoa, I just had a dream. That was really powerful. Holy crap. I shouldn't be where I am. I'm going back. Right. I'm going back. And the fact that, <laughs> that God met him where he was is pretty. Yes. Cool. That's I the point. Like, Thank yes. you. That's the point I was getting to is that like, I was just, just told it's a testimony recently that may it's the same point. It's just like, God is capable of meeting us anywhere. Literally. I was a testimony of a woman at our church. She was sharing her story. She became a believer. She was desperate to know Jesus. And she was looking for anybody to give her answers about God. And she was basically brought into a cult of like a Christian cult. You know how like Christians do mm -hmm. this cult like stuff. She was like brought into this cult and they gave her all of these answers of Jesus. And she like, she was like, I read the word and I understood it. And it was so beautiful to me. And my parents came and tried to take me home, but I, I shouldn't be telling the story. It's somebody else's story. It's what we told. But anyway, she ends up leaving the cult eventually and like being like retaught scripture in a non-cultish way, but she was still <laughs> in love with Jesus from the moment that she got brought into this cult. Like it was like, I mean, I was, it was mind bending. I was like, okay. he does crazy things. Like we cannot, I don't know. Anyway, speaking of which let's move to Ezekiel. Uh, let me, let me see if I can tie it in. So God works in like the most like unexpected in the places where we're sure, like we actually get angry with people for the things that they're doing because it doesn't, it doesn't give God a good reputation. Mm -hmm. And we feel like we need to defend God. Like Uza did with the ark mm -hmm. and we get all upset about it, forgetting that he is more than capable of revealing himself in the most unexpected mm -hmm. pagan angering places. Yes. Anyway, so I, I've actually been having this like conversation with somebody offline and it's been relatively infuriating if I'm being honest. And so it was fun then. Cause if you, now, if we go to Ezekiel, 
this is where God totally convicted my heart about this whole thing, because basically I was confronted and I think my salvation was called into question and I was offended by it. Um, but when we got to Ezekiel and we, um, what chapter is it? 33. Yeah. Chapter 33 and where it says, I couldn't help but see this person in this chapter where God is basically telling Ezekiel in chapter 33, he was like, look, um, if a watchman is watching and he blows the trumpet and nobody comes, it's on the people that don't come. Mm -hmm. But if the watchman is on watch and he sees something coming and he doesn't blow the trumpet and they die, it's on him. him. Yeah. And reading that. And then it's basically, and he says, you're the watchman. You are the watchman. I have, yeah, yeah, I have, I have given, I've told you and I've shown you what's coming and it's your job to tell them. And if they don't come, that's on them. If they do, that's on it. If they don't come, that's on them. But if you you don't speak, yeah, if you don't speak, that's on you. And so it was kind of like a moment where I was like, Oh, this person is right. Like if she had questions or was worried about my salvation, Like it was right, whether I received it or not, it was right for her to bring it up, bring up the concern. And what I did with that is up to me, but like, it was, it, like, it's, it is our responsibility when we see something happening or somebody falling away and God calls us now you could argue about being led by the Holy spirit. And believe me, I am arguing about somebody like this person, whether they were led by the Holy spirit, but it doesn't it doesn't matter. The motivation is like, we have a response. The truth is, is that we have a responsibility that when we're shown something and I just really like the way that he laid that out. And I love, like, I just love when the Holy spirit is like, eh, eh, like just here, here's your yeah, thing. Check Get yourself in thing. check. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it just helped me to re re see the person as doing what God has called us to do, which can be hard. It's not easy to confront somebody and say, Hey, I think you might be going astray. That's not an easy Mm -hmm. thing to do. Um, anyway, that was good. That was good from Ezekiel. I really love it when God convicts me from his word. I love it when he can, I don't, I mean, it's not comfortable, but yep. I love it when he shows me I'm wrong. My favorite thing from Ezekiel this week was in the same spot or just after that spot or just after that section in 33, where he is talking about the watchman and we, it's the it's something we've talked about before, but I feel like this is kind of my, I think this is going to kind of be my big takeaway from Ezekiel and maybe from like the prophets as a whole this year is that idea that I think we talked about it last week or the week before the fact that we worship God for who he is in total all of the aspects mm-hmm. of his character. Um, yes, and, I love that. And we spent a lot of, again, in Ezekiel reading about judgment and um, in verse, 30, verse chapter 33, 10 and 11, it says, son of man, speak to Israel, tell them, you've said our rebellions and sins are weighing us down. We're wasting away. How can we go on living? Tell them as sure as I am the living God, I take no pleasure from the death of the wicked. I want the wicked to change their ways and live. Turn your life around, reverse your evil ways. Why die Israel? And I think there was a section either before that or after that's kind of similar, but it just made it. So it made me think of that, that conversation we've had over and over again about like God's heart is for mercy mm-hmm. and salvation. He does not look from his heart. Yes. That God judges evil because it's part of his character. Mm. And he shows mercy 
because it's part of his character, but also because he wants to. Mm-hmm. And and it's the it's kind. I mean, it's tied to that Watchmen idea. Like I've set before you life and death. Choose life. Like he's mm-hmm. he's like just just do it, Israel. Just yeah. just turn from your ways and live. Like why would you choose to die? The actual the the part right after that is the part that really struck me that I loved so much, where it says um, it's basically saying the righteous person isn't going to make it because if he's righteous all day long and he chooses injustice for a moment, like mm-hmm. he's gone. The wicked person can be wicked all life long, and yet at the last moment, if he decides he's going to repent, I'll take him. Like God's mm-hmm. like. And injustice is the word it's righteousness against is put up against injustice, which I find very, like, I haven't put a lot of thought into it because we're just reading, but I'm like, that's what I, I kind of want to think about. What does that mean? Cause he says, um, when I tell the righteous person that he will surely live, but he trusts in his righteousness and acts unjustly, then none of his righteousness will be remembered and he will die because of the injustice he has committed. And I, again, I think that's something that I would, I would, I would like to chew on for longer. It's something I'd love to do in more of an in-depth study on. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, we trust in our righteousness and in our righteousness, we do things not led by the spirit. And we do things not, we do things like outside of love and we treat people unjustly thinking that because we're righteous and we're doing all these things, right. That that's enough to get us into heaven. But we forget that it's love. Love is worship. Like mm-hmm. I'm just thinking a lot about that, but it's just, it made me think of that parable where, or the one who says, I won't do it, but then later does then it, does it. Yeah. Compared to the person who says I'll do it and then never does it. Um, which one was obedient. I kind of think that's what he's, that's what it's hmm. what, it, what it reminded me of. I don't know if it's true, yeah. but that's what it made me think of. Um, and then the other part that stood out to me from the same chapter is him talking to the prophet I just love the way that he kind of reassures is he's like, they're coming, like you're drawing crowds and they're hearing you and they're amazed by what you're saying. And they look like they're all on board, but they're like, they're saying, it says their mouths go on passionately, but their hearts pursue dishonest profit. And he's kind of like, just don't worry because at the end of the day, he says, yet when all this comes true and it definitely will, I love that. When all this comes true is the very end of 33, when all this comes true and it definitely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. I love that. He's like, I'll justify you. Which totally echoes everything I've been underlining this read through in Ezekiel is that then they'll realize that I'm God. Mm -hmm. So that stuck out to me too, because it's that same kind of language, only it's God defending his prophet. Mm -hmm. Yes. Defending his prophet. I love that. Because Ezekiel's life is hard. Yeah. It, it makes me hard. think of that idea that like we were talking about last year and I don't remember what at all, where we were. It was probably soon in the reading plan, but just that idea that like God desires to glorify us. Like he's, he, we will be glorified. Like it's in this, I like, I remember talking about that. You know what I mean? And this idea that I feel like that sounds so heretical from the background that I've come from that like God would want. Yeah, it us. definitely makes me like, Ooh, I know. Especially yes. I remember even last year, it was like, yeah. even to say it was like, Ooh, I, I knew it was going to be a dangerous thing to talk about with you, especially because of the background that you come from. But that's always a, I think people really love to focus on 
how sinful we are and we are, and yet like we miss what happened, like what Christ is doing, like the, the work that Christ has done has made us righteous and what that means and what that looks like. We don't go there. You know what I mean? Well, We're, all of that conversation was based on scripture. Like, I wish I could rem. It wasn't like just something. Yeah, you know, it was, be- we it was New Testament. It. Said that. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. We'll have to keep our eyes open because I don't remember. Yeah. And then we're in Galatians. Oh man, it was so fun to read Galatians, having studied it. Yeah. And then reading it in the message. That was really fun. Talk to us. There was a lot of just, oh, okay. So let me think if I can narrow it down to a couple of things. So one, it made me wonder what was Paul actually like in real life? Because when we were reading second Corinthians, there's that section where he's like, um, you guys accuse me of being super, super wishy-washy when I'm with you and harsh in my letters. And I'm only doing that because I want to get this out now so that when I come to you, we can enjoy this. Yes. But it comes up again. Yes. Okay. In Galatians four. And I never, I don't think I noticed it when we studied Galatians. Um, I think I noticed it because of the message. Okay, here we go. In four verse 20, maybe when he's talking about, I should have gone back and read it in ESV or CSB. So I could be familiar with what, know what I'm familiar with. Um, But he says, do you know how I feel right now? And will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives, like a mother in the pain of childbirth, childbirth. Oh, I keep wishing that I was with you. Then I wouldn't be reduced to this blunt letter writing language out of sheer frustration. And I've just never noticed that in Galatians before, but it kind of echoes that what he was saying in Corinthians. And we kind of know Paul as this like super blunt to the point, like almost rude sometimes because we know him through his letters. And it just made me wonder, man, what was he like in real life? Yeah. I kind of thought that too. I was thinking he must, he was probably really delightful. Like I kind of imagine him being like really shy and non-confrontational. Yeah. That's confrontational. What's in his letters? I imagine he's like, I don't want to do any of this in person. No, I just want to enjoy being with you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Because we studied Galatians. There's, I mean, there's so much law in Galatians. Like that's what he's Paul is saying it's yes. Paul is saying it's not about the law. And, and so that was, I think the biggest, it was really fun to read through the message version, having studied it more in depth because the message just like so readable and it makes it really clear. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was a lot of that, that, um, in chapter three, (laughs) only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts. What was begun by God. (laughs) Oh, Okay say this was like my favorite section is in three five verses five and six Uh does the god who lavishly provides you with his own presence his holy spirit working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you don't these things happen among you just as they happened with abraham he believed God and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. It made me think of all of our conversations about rest. Like just, mm-hmm. I had a lot more profound thoughts, I think when I was reading it, but uh, yeah, it's all striving. That word striving is yes. like what we, we, 
we really have to almost strive against striving because striving is <laughs> our natural tendency. Yeah. And he's like, and he's saying like the Holy spirit is the, is at work in you. I have like these theological questions that I'm wrestling with and they are probably on the verge of heresy. So if you're looking for <laughs> heresy, this is the episode to find it in. I think this passage in particular chapter three, I've been, I, ever since we studied Galatians, the thing that I have, the thing that stands out for me from Galatians that was so profound at the time is that line where it says 430 years Mm -hmm. before the law was given, the promise was given. Yes. And I, I love that so much because it was like this, it was like this profound aha moment that was like, yes, of course. Yes, of course. Like the righteousness that was credited to Abraham happened Mm -hmm. so far before Moses that Moses was all dependent on works, but it was, and the the way that he talks about it being a guardian, that's its own thing. That's its own thing that I think could require its own podcast. But I think where it says, the thing that I'm chewing on is where it says Abraham's, um, in verse eight, now the scriptures, the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. I kind of like, I've kind of been pondering this idea that And we've, I think we talked about it last year too, but this idea that Abraham was saved and made righteous through his faith, that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And it was not like he believed in the Messiah. He believed in Jesus because I feel like it was, maybe it's the message transition where like he looked at through the halls of faith or maybe it's in a different, that's in a different, a different passage, but yes. Yeah. Where he like Abraham saw through the halls of faith to the Messiah, basically in that idea that like when Paul calls that the gospel, it just makes me think about like, hear me clearly. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone, because Jesus Christ is the one who did the thing that God said he would do. Like it is, it all happened through Christ in the cross, but it's our faith that God is who he says he is. And will do what he says he will do is that is what saves us. It's the faith alone. It's, it's the faith. And I've just kind of been thinking about the idea of like law versus the promise. Like I kept circling everywhere that it said promise the promised spirit, the promise, the promise, your children of a promise, like it's everywhere. And I've been thinking a lot about that line that says it's our faith that pleases God. Like nothing else pleases God, except our faith kind of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm going with this, except I, there's times where I think to myself, I wonder if there are Jews who believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do the Messiah, like that, that God has a Messiah for us, you know? And I wonder whether like, and it doesn't matter ultimately, because God knows, and he's going to do it. And he's going to take care of it, but will, the, will Jesus come back? And will they go, uh, was you, you know, will they, will they see him and go, I knew, I knew God was coming for us. I knew he was doing it and I missed it. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but it is you and I worship you. Like, you know what I mean? If it's the faith that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. What does that mean? Like, 
Do you know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I think I'm, that there are pretty strong arguments against what you're saying because yes, that because how could you miss it if you before actually, Jesus? <clears throat> like now, Jesus is now. Hold on. Before Jesus, before Jesus, it says that this is where I think I. This is where I think I I undid that entire thought where I was like, oh shoot, I'm wrong. Oh, 25 actually I think is where it proves me wrong. Yes. It says. Yes. It says, but since that but faith now, has yep. come, mm-hmm. we are no longer under a guardian for through faith. You are all sons of God in Christ yes. Jesus. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. That's right. So now right. that faith I, has come. Yeah. yeah. Because I think like we can't, I understand what you're saying. Their faith yeah. in the faith promise, but the promise is here. Like yeah. now we, now our faith is in the promise backwards, not forwards. Faith has come. Like, yes the message. The other thing that was interesting to read in the message was, um, in four, when he talks about Hagar and Sarah, um, and how he explains it, mm-hmm. he says the son, the son, um, okay. Remember Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. The son of the slave woman was born by human connivance. The son of the free woman was born by God's promise. This illustrates the very thing we we are dealing with now, which right before that he was talking about like, like being enslaved. Right. Let me see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And being pulled away, being enslaved and pulled away from their original In the same way we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the law. Yes. Yes. And so he says the two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds with what is now going on in Jerusalem, a slave life producing slaves as offspring. This is the way of Hagar. In contrast to that, there's an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, and she is our mother. This is the way of Sarah. Remember what Isaiah wrote. And then he quotes that rejoice barren woman. But we'll just go back that, to that. And there's a free Jerusalem. Go back to that. Yeah. What verse is that? Um, it's 30, 31, maybe. Yeah. To the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. Interesting. Yours is the new Jerusalem and that's acting as if it's now visible Jerusalem. Okay. Okay. Let's see. So the slave woman was Son of the slave woman was born by human connivance. The son of the free woman was born by God's promise. This illustrates the very thing we are dealing with now. The two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is so like the law, like law and grace is kind yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get the point. I just honestly was looking at. Sorry, I got distracted by <clears throat> uh, the invisible Jerusalem. Yeah, which indicate like that's like a very like Jerusalem now, as in like kingdom come the way that he print and here it says, but the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. That's like two very different. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Let me see. You're in ESV. I'm in CSB. Oh, I totally, (laughs) uh, I like, what's the word? I, uh, commandeered your point, but yes, freedom Galatians is all about freedom. We are free. We are free from work. We're free from slavery to the law. We're free. Like just promise. It's all a promise, which the point is, is that we were never intended to try to keep it. That was right. made by God. The promise is the one that we were talking about in Abraham. Like we just studied Abraham this year and it was the promise that was made while Abraham was asleep, not participating at all. That's mm-hmm. the point that mm-hmm. God is like, oh, I will do this. Yeah. I think another thing to 
bounce off of what you just said is that Paul says in five, when he's talking about the fact that you're free, like go live a free life, but use your freedom to serve one another in love for everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. (laughs) That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out in no time at all. You'll be, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this, live freely, animated, and motivated by God's spirit. Ah, Eugene. He's good stuff. That's the recap. See you next week. That is so good. Then will your precious freedom be then. Thanks for listening to the recap. If you enjoyed this discussion, and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org, and we will see you next week.